Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Psalm 122. Psalm 122, right in the center of your scriptures. Now, we've been in a series uh, looking um, at who Christ is and what his heart and passions are. He's gentle and lowly. His heart is full of compassion. He, he's our advocate. His love is never ending. And now today, Christ's heart for his church. That's the title of this message, the heart of Christ, his church. So let's read in Psalm 122. And uh, just a note, I, I like to uh, replace the word Lord, which stands in place of Yahweh, and actually say Yahweh, because that's the name of our God that he's given to us. Um, and I think it renders it um, just a unique way. So, Psalm 122, this is ESV, a song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of Yahweh. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of Yah, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of Yahweh. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of Yahweh, our God, I will seek your good. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you have blessed us as a church. That when we seek to go to the house of the Lord, this local church that you've given to us, there's anticipation. There's rejoicing. Lord, I I pray that this message would be one that reflects your heart, your love for your church. Father, thank you for giving us Christ, who has by his blood purchased us as a people, as a family, as heirs, as sons and daughters, with a bond that is stronger than anything else in the world. Help us as we look at your word to see your church as you see your church, to have your heart for this people that you've brought us together with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before I get started too much, you know, I didn't... Uh, plan the message because I saw something that needed correcting. This isn't a corrective message. I, I mean, you might get correction, but that's not, that's not the, the purpose. I saw we needed to be envisioned again, reminded again. Because people, people are sometimes full of con- contradictions. You know, have, have you ever heard some of these statements? I'm a Christian atheist. I kid you not. I've, I've heard that statement. <laughs> I'm a libertarian socialist. <laughs> How about some classics? Um, military intelligence. Jum- <laughs> Jumbo shrimp, you know. 
Yogi Berra was full of them, and I love uh, Yogi Berra quotes. Uh, he said a couple of these. It was impossible to get a conversation going. Everyone was talking too much. I never said most of the things that I said. No one goes to that restaurant anymore. It's always too crowded. <laughs> I've read a, a book of, of Yogi Bear quotes. They're all fantastic. <laughs> Even though he's a Yankee, it's okay. <laughs> all right, how about some more serious ones, though? I'm, I'm a Christian, but I don't like other Christians. I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. Now, if the heart of Christ is his church, shouldn't it be ours too? How can you be a follower of Jesus and not love his church? Not love your brothers and sisters in Christ, not desire to meet with them and to worship God together with them. Christ's heart is corporate worship of God in the local church. Make it yours too. That's the the point of this message and a I think the point of this psalm for us today is Christ's heart is corporate worship of God and the local church. Make it yours too. And as I said, this isn't a message intended to bring correction. This is a message to give you desire and hope for the future. I'm not trying to target anyone here and I'll, I'll continue to make some other caveats to make sure that you hear that especially given our current situation in a pandemic where things are a little bit different. But let's get into this, get into the word. Message can be broken down into three simple points, and I'll expand on these, but it's just this. Anticipate, see, and pray. Anticipate, see, and pray. Anticipate the church, see the church, pray for the church. So this first one, Anticipate and rejoice in gathering for corporate worship. Anticipate and rejoice in gathering for corporate worship. Corporate worship, that's our Sunday gathering right now. This is corporate worship. Not just the singing portion, but the whole service from start to finish. Actually, even before you gather and and start talking with people and gather afterward, talk with people. Again, it's a little bit different in the pandemic, but that is all part of corporate worship. I have three points, and I'm going to spend probably maybe three-fourths of the time on this particular point, because I know these are difficult times. Coming to church for corporate worship isn't wasn't what it used to be. We have to wear masks. We have to social distance. We can't grab a cup of coffee after the service and chat. We can't even uh, usually hang out inside afterwards. And I know... Uh, others don't feel like it would be safe or wise uh, to physically come to church. Um, and I think that can be a legitimate and, and godly decision by many. And I'm thankful uh, for the many who have made that decision. But let's look at Scripture and examine our hearts against Scripture. Let's read again verses 1 and 2, actually starting in that uh, that that little top part. It comes before verse 1, a song of ascents of David. I kind of believe that's part of Scripture. Those notes are are inscripturated. It's in the Hebrew Bible. It's of David. It's a song of ascents. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of Yahweh. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. 
This is a psalm of ascents. It's sung on the way up the mountains to Jerusalem. The men of Israel would do this three times a year at least. And back when, when this was written, there was no cars. There was no planes, no buses, no trains, and not really all that much in the way of paved uh, roads. There were some because the Romans built them, but um, the Romans weren't around quite when the temple was there. But they would sing this song. They would sing, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of Yahweh. I don't know what the tune was, but you can imagine it was a a good tune. They're singing this on their journey up. They spent days on this arduous journey to go. And when, when they sing this, when the psalmist wrote this, when they say this in their hearts, they're reflecting the heart of Christ, even though they didn't know who Christ was at the time. They knew about the Messiah, though. And what once was located in Jerusalem in the temple is now located in Christ's church and in each member of his church. And so, and and though Christians are members of Christ's one church, we all need to belong to one specific local church, one specific set of pastors and elders. A heart of Christ for the church will result in a heart for one specific local church that you're a member of or you're pursuing membership of. And remember, what is what is Christ's love of the church? What's it like? Well, we can turn to Ephesians 5 and hear about Christ's love for the church. This is addressed to husbands, but look at what Christ has here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that that she might be holy and without blemish. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So yeah, this is directed at husbands. What, what, but what truth is behind that? The reality of Christ's love for the church is shown by the picture of a husband's love for his wife. Christ's love is perfect, though. You can see a husband's love for his wife, especially when they're newly married. What a wonderful picture that that is. But Christ's love for his bride is even greater. It's more perfect Christ's love is steadfast. It's never-ending, never interrupted. It's never delayed. Christ's love is present for his church at all times. This is the heart that God wants us to have for his church. If Christ died for his church, gave up his body, his blood on the cross then it's most certainly worth your time and your efforts and your skills and your all to love the church. When a husband loves his wife and he's away for a time, he can't wait to get back to her. And if you've been away from the church for a time, if you have a heart of Christ, you can't wait to go back again. Even if it's been less than a week. So for for those of you who are not physically here 
You know, the, the question I would have for you is, is that decision based on care for the safety and health of your family? If it is, that's wonderful. Or is it due in, in part to laziness or, or fear? Those can be things that creep up on, on us for making decisions and, and looking out at this pandemic. It's easier sometimes to stay at home. Sometimes that's a really hard decision. I, I don't know where your heart it was in that. But you don't, you don't want to just stay away because you're lazy or because you're fearful of this pandemic. But if it's out of a concern for safety or loving your neighbor by limiting the spread of this pandemic, I believe that that could be a sacrifice of, of love. And so I'd say keep on, keep on watching. And the fact is that not all of you can come here. I look out at, at our social distance seating and it's mostly full today. And that's wonderful. I'm, I'm so thankful for that. So I'm thankful for you who have chosen to stay at home. Um, and, uh, it's hard. I know it's not the same when you view it online versus coming here. So I'd say continue to, to keep watching. Um, try to connect with people uh, over Zoom or on the phone or other meaningful ways, even just texting. Look forward to, anticipate the day when you can return. Plan for it. You know, when, when is that? In your own mind, you should have that made, that, 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 that plan made up. Is it maybe when the numbers go down a bit? Uh, then watch the numbers and pray they'll de- decrease. Or maybe it's after you're vaccinated and, and get the booster, whatever your, your criteria is. Well, plan to get that vaccine as soon as you can. And I know we have to wait. We have to be patient. And for those who are coming here physically, I know it's been hard on you too. Um, we can't just hang out before and after the meeting as we once did. We can't just grab a cup of coffee and chat. There's a lot we can't do. I know that you're, you're tempted to complain. I'm tempted to complain about that too. But what would Jesus have us do in this circumstance? He encourages us to anticipate and to rejoice in gathering together. Thank God that we can meet together. Thank God that we can sing together, that we can receive communion together. And if we must hang out after the meeting outside in the winter, well, let's bring warm coats and gloves and hats in order to do so. This isn't a time to focus on fashion or appearance or having uh, <laughs> or having comfort of, of warmness, but on having fellowship under whatever limits uh, there might be. Before the pandemic, people would, you know, they would go to winter festivals and hang out for hours in the cold, right? We can, if they can do that for entertainment, we can do that for fellowship, right? Thank you for, for doing that. You already have been doing that, even when it has been cold out. God cares a lot more about your fellowship with other believers than about fashion or comfort on, on Sundays or other times as well. And that brings me to another difficult um, thing during the pandemic, children's ministry. For a number of reasons, we can't have children's ministry every week um, like we used to. There aren't enough workers. Space is limited. Uh, it's cold outside. We're not going to do it outside. <laughs> um, a number of parents are, are maybe uncomfortable with having their kids in uh, children's ministry indoors. That's 
a very reasonable thing to be uh, cautious about. But here's the thing. You know, instead of viewing this as a, as a hardship or complaining, I, I do recognize that it, it's hard, let's view this as an opportunity for our kids to join us in big church, to hear the sermon, to hear the word proclaimed, and to see you pay attention and to listen. John Piper and his wife Noel wrote an article back in 1995 about the issue of children in the sermon. And he highlights a number of reasons why it's good for us to have children in the sermon. Now, John Piper advocates that children over the age of four should be part of the sermon. And I don't necessarily agree with that, but I think his principles are, are, are great. And as, as well, like, we could admit that, you know, 18 is probably a little too old to keep them downstairs and, and not in the sermon, right? So somewhere in between is probably a, a sweet spot, right? <laughs> um, and I, th- I think we've done a, a good job with picking a, a place in the middle of that um, in, uh, when we're not in the pandemic. We have a good, good balance. I'm not looking to destroy children's ministry by any means. But as long as we're here, because this is where we are, right? There's not a lot we can do about it. We can try to get more uh, children's ministry going, but this is where we are. Let's see the good in it while we're here. The fact is that one, most kids over a certain age do okay in the sermon. I know it's difficult. My, two of my kids are downstairs, uh, cause they don't do well upstairs. Um, and so that's hard on Megan. I, I, I get that. And you have your own kids and, and they're not always easy to keep quiet. I think you've done a great job of that. I have, I sit in the back. I hear the noises and it's not a lot. So thank you. Thank you for being faithful in this. And I know not a lot of parents are bringing their kids, but some are. And that shows your faithfulness. Thank you. Um, two, we're, we're together. The effect of having many servants over time with parents, it will have an effect on your kids and you. And so, you know, maybe the pandemic is, is done. We go back to regular children's ministry. That's fantastic. But while we're here, your kids are hearing from the word preached. And three, we must cherish and delight in listening to the sermon rather than seeing it as a chore. I know that Bauer, Dave, and I, we're not the best preachers in the world. You know, we're not Tim Keller or John Piper or whoever your favorite preacher is. Maybe your favorite preacher is Bauer. I don't know. <laughs> um, but Let's not see it as a chore. Let's see it as a delight. Our children can see the difference in our attitudes, whether we're rejoicing in listening to the sermon or we're just kind of you know, going through the motions and abiding, abiding our time uh, through the sermon. Uh, four, while a lot goes over their heads, you know, I realize a, a two-year-old is not going to catch a lot of this. A four-year-old, maybe not much more. Six-year-old, maybe a little bit more. Not everything goes over their heads. They are hearing some of this. They're catching some of that. And week to week, you know, if they came 52 weeks, they're going to catch some. And so it's good. It's good that they hear. And five, our kids can catch the spirit. I believe this. The sermons, uh, the, the sermon, well, the spirit's movement during the sermon. It's not just for the adults. I think the Spirit moves on our children. And it might not be something that's totally intellectual 
with their minds, they're coming to a full understanding. The Spirit doesn't need to work through our intellect. He can work through our hearts. So they're catching some of that. Not that they can't catch it in children's ministry, but they're catching it upstairs. So let's be glad for the time that we have uh, as they're upstairs. God will use it for their good and for ours. Now, through all of this, I was reminded by, by Bauer this morning, how long did it take Solomon to build the temple when he started? Something like 20 years to build the temple. Crossway is celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. Imagine all that time <laughs> not having a building, not being having a place for us to gather together, really. We've met from place to place. We've been, God's blessed us in that. But they had to be patient for the temple to be built. They had to work hard at it. And so a year in a pandemic, that's been hard. I'm not downplaying that the difficulty there. We need to be patient though. God's gonna move. He's gonna do great things. He's gonna, he's gonna restore uh, what we've lost through the pandemic, I believe. We have to be patient more. And we look forward. We anticipate that day when all those restrictions will be gone. So like Psalm 122, let's be glad in our hearts when someone says, let's go to church. Let's go to God's house. Let's anticipate gathering together. Let's rejoice when we do, even if the circumstances aren't ideal. And verse 3, the psalmist continues in his praise and love for Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a center, both religiously and politically, for Israel. And now the church, the church is our center and our unity. And we are not only to anticipate and rejoice in gathering, but we're to reorient our minds to see the church as our center and our unity. This is my second point. See the church as your center and your unity. Verses 3 to 5 here. There are a lot of things that vie for our attention, right? There's a lot, th- lot of things going on in the world. And I, th- I think this was true in the days of the temple too, um, which is maybe why God wanted them to all gather to, to, to Jerusalem, make pilgrimages every year to remind them of where their center is, where their unity is found. Let's look at how this song admires Jerusalem. And in this psalm, like many, Jerusalem stands for part of the whole. So Jerusalem is not just the city, but it's the people. God's people are all gathered together. That's why he loves Jerusalem. It's, it's representative of all of Israel, all of God's people. So verse 3. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of Yahweh, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of Yahweh. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Jerusalem was and is compact. All the houses are tight together, unlike the rest of Israel was at the time. All the pilgrims and all the tribes gathered together there for worship. I can't really picture what that was like. 
But there was a lot of people gathered in Jerusalem at these times of year, worshiping in the temple. And all the pilgrims, all the tribes gathered together to worship our God. It was their religious center. You know, as as Reformed Protestants, we often stress how the church is not a building, but a people. And that's true. But maybe to the neglect of how important it is to be close to the place where we meet together. And I know a number of you have tried to move closer here, and it's been difficult. Franklin is far more expensive than even towns right outside of it. But you've tried. You've saw it as your center. You've saw it uh, this this place is important to be part of. I hope you've seen it as more important that the people you want to be close to. Yes, that's our center. Our, the people here you want to be close to. And so we have small groups that gather, you know, in Attleboro. And uh, well, at one time we had them in North Smithfield as well. Hopefully we'll get back there too. Um, but here's the people meet here at the building for small groups. What a wonderful use of the space that God has given us. And our minds, our local church, the people, should be at the forefront of our minds. If, if this is the religious center for us, let's be thinking of Crossway, not the building, not the pastors necessarily, the people here. Those who are not present, those who you haven't seen for a while, maybe reach out to them. Hey, how you doing? Can I encourage you anyway? You know, can I pray for you? All those ways, just reaching out. Now, in verse five, we see that Jerusalem's also their political center. The thrones refer to the promise uh, to David that there will be an heir that will sit on his throne forever. This is where Israel was centered. This is why they're unified as a people. And that heir, we know, is Jesus, who's seated on the throne in the kingdom of heaven forever. And so let me ask you, where is your center politically? Is it Washington, D.C.? Is it maybe on the state level, the Boston? No, our political center, too, is heaven. Our king is Jesus. We're monarchists. <laughs> We're citizens of heaven. You know, Christians can get worked up all over uh, politics, me included. I think it shows us that our thinking is that this is our home and not heaven. We're citizens here and not heaven. I think we need to flip that. Heaven is our citizenship. We've placed a little more weight in our U.S. US citizenship than our heavenly citizenship. When we get worked up about U.S. politics or state politics or whatever have you, I think it shows something in our hearts. Now, it's not that those things aren't important. They are important. But this is our center. Christ is our center. And we come from all different walks of life. Some of you I have very little in common with, and others I have a lot in common with. But there's one thing that most, uh, that matters most. We're all united in this. The gospel. We have a bond that is stronger than family, stronger than blood. 
Well, it's by the blood, actually. We were united as a people by the blood of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. We have a unity that Christ died for sins, that he has saved us. And we can debate about this and that, but at the end of the day, we're united in Christ. Have you heard about this whole GameStop thing? <laughs> For those of you who haven't heard, let me try to summarize a little bit. Here's the background. Melvin is a hedge fund on Wall Street. They performed a 140% short of GameStop stock, which means take all of the stock of GameStop plus 40%. They shorted it, which means they, they, they grabbed it, they sold it immediately, and they're going to pay it back at a lower price, they hope, at another time. So they'll profit from kind of destroying a, a, a company. Now, <laughs> this other group on Reddit, Wall Street Bets, don't go there now. <laughs> uh, there's a community of risk takers, basically. They're, <laughs> this isn't great financial advice that they're given. They, they admit that. But they recognize that Melvin uh, had overplayed its hand. So, so they bought, and they bought, and they bought, and they bought, and they bought. They bought all the shares that they could find of GameStop. But in order to win against these shorts that Melvin has, they must continue to hold. They, and they must buy GameStop stock. And this is now expensive for them because GameStop used to be priced at something like four or six dollars. Now it's four hundred or three hundred or two hundred. That's a big difference. But on the Reddit community page, there are constant calls for people to hold. Hold, hold, we've got to hold, we've got to hold. We've got to hold, guys. Don't sell. When, when CNBC showed an ad that said that Melvin had, had resolved all its shorts, Wall Street Journal, uh, Wall, uh, sorry, Wall Street Bets, they might sell and they might lose because that was a lie. And so there's constant calls. Hold, hold, hold! Don't pay attention to that ad. It's a lie. When Robinhood, the, the stock trading app, halted the ability to buy GameStop stock, Wall Street bets people might, they might panic and sell, but there was constant calls. Hold, hold, I know Robinhood's not doing you well, but hold, buy from some other place. When the price drops from 400 to 200 or to 100, hold, because if you, if you sell, you're going to lose out. Melvin wins if you sell. Now, it's not unlike this for us. We need constant calls for faithfulness. Whatever your opinion of that whole uh, fiasco is, we need constant calls. Because if there is silence, take, the, take that example of the GameStop and Wall Street bets. If there was silence... They would simply sell. They couldn't hold against it. Their fears would, would rise up. 
They wouldn't be focused. They'd lose their unity. And they would lose against their war on Melvin. (laughs) But this is why we need corporate worship. We need singing. We need sermon. We need communion. We need fellowship. This is why we have small groups. We need to be reminded over and over, hold, hold to the gospel. Hold to Christ. Hold to your church. Hold to your brothers and sisters. Encourage them to hold fast. Now, I give that example not so that you go away from here thinking like, oh yeah, I gotta check that out. That's a really interesting story. <laughs> I go so that when you see those kinds of things happen in pop culture, I want you to be reminded of the church. I want you to be reminded, oh yeah, you know what? That's just like our constant calls and reminders to hold fast to Christ. When you see it in movies, you know, Braveheart's com- a common one. He's, he's saying, hold, hold, we can win this war. We need constant reminders because we're so apt to get distracted, to to fear, to whatever else is out there. And so what are we to do? We are to reaffirm in our own minds, in our own priorities, that the church, this local church, if you're a member here, the church is your center, and we are united in Christ under the gospel. Reaffirm our corporate gathering as your religious centerpiece. And our political center is heaven, where our king reigns forever on his throne. So that even if, you know, U.S. politics are going crazy, and they are important, but we don't get too caught up in it, drawn away from the gospel by focusing on it. And reaffirm our unity in the gospel, which far exceeds any differences that we might have. Not only are we to see the church as our center and our unity, not only are we to anticipate and rejoice in our corporate worship gatherings, but we're also to pray. It's the last section here, verses 6 to 9. Pray for peace and prosperity in the church. Pray for peace and prosperity in the church. Once again, the psalmist focuses on Jerusalem as a representative of the whole. It's a metaphor for the unity of Israel, which is gathering within its walls. Imagine this. We are all on pilgrimage, walking up to Jerusalem and singing this song together. Verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of Yahweh, our God, I will seek your good. Pray. Pray for peace in the church. Pray for unity in the gospel. Because people allow a number of issues to divide themselves against other Christians, even within our own church at times. Hopefully briefly, not forever. 
but we all ought to be united in the gospel. Pray for prosperity. Now, this isn't the prosperity gospel where you pray for a million bucks and you get it, you know. Um, God doesn't work like that. <laughs> prosperity, we, what we pray for when we think of prosperity is talking more than just about money and finances. Prosperity is the success of God's people. It's security and health and long life and lots of children, a good and enjoyable job or career. It's faith for the next generation, even if you don't have kids yourself. It's this and that and that, the, the welfare of God's people, of this local church, of other churches like it. We pray for the sake of the church, the house of Yahweh, our God. We must seek its good. And as we conclude here, just some reminders of what we are to do in this. We need to pray for these things. Pray for the welfare of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for your pastors to lead well. We need your prayers to be wise, to follow the Spirit, to be successful in that. And let's pray and not pretend that we can accomplish these things if we just have the right plan or execute the plan well enough. This church depends on your prayers because it depends on God. When we pray, we're expressing our dependence upon God for both what we can personally accomplish and for what we cannot. When we pray for the things that we can accomplish, it's showing, yes, I I know I can do this, physically do this or carry this out, but I'm still dependent on the Spirit to do this well. And even the gifts that I have, they've come from the Lord. I'd be nothing without God's help. So in conclusion, Christ's heart is corporate worship of God and the local church. Let's make it ours too. We need to anticipate the church, see the church for what it is, our center in unity, and pray. Pray for the church. And you know, I'm, I'm greatly looking forward to the time when we can be done with this pandemic. Go back to fully enjoying each other's company and fellowship, having people over our house, inviting them in, cooking them meals. We've got to be patient until then. We've got to rejoice until then. Whatever, whenever that happens, tomorrow or in nine months or whenever, let's be Christians who have Christ's heart for the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us a local church in Christ's name through his blood. That you are accomplishing great things through us, even though we might not see it, Lord. Thank you for the unity that you've already given to us in the gospel, in the death and resurrection of your Son, Father. Jesus, we thank you that you have a heart for the church that is far beyond our own hearts. Even the one who loves this church the most, Lord, 
Your heart is perfect for your church. Your body and blood were poured out for this church. And I pray that your never-ending, never-delayed, never-interrupted heart and love for this church and churches like it, for your worldwide church, Lord, would our hearts reflect that just even a little bit, Lord? And give us patience as we wait a change in circumstances. But give us anticipation and rejoicing even now, Lord, that we can meet together. We have technology to stream, Lord. And I, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, would we find our center again in your church, in your gospel, by the blood of your Son. Amen. Let's stand.